you are now about to witness the awesome crushing might invisible orange invisible orange of the U.G.S. Robinson Show. Invisible Orange, Invisible Orange. Stop Welcome, my friends, to a show that seemingly apparently never ends. I can go back to that now. Now that I'm not part of any massive crushing corporate structure outside of the massive corporate crushing structure of the people who host it. This is V19. I am your host of the Eugene S. Rob I mean, would you expect anybody else other than Eugene S. Robinson to be the host of the Eugene S. Robinson show? This is V19. We're going to, I feel like Michael Corleone in The Godfather, part three. We'll get to that soon. Right now, Bob Riley, Stigmata. The record is called Calling of the Just. Song is called Intro All of Nothing. It's available from Revelation Records. It's been our bumper music since 2007. So listen well as Bob sings the words that kick it all off in a very serious and earnest way. Could not see so clear. I'm taking a real good look at your face. So being paid back in full, always nothing. All right, all right, enough of that. The neighborhood dogs have started to bark, which always puts me in a, a lathering rage. You know, as much as if a guy was just standing on his front lawn going, hey, 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 which is also like that butthole surface song by the same name. Hey, um, let's see if I can get the speaker thing. There we go. All right. So, so uh, I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, I was I was a minute late. I like to start promptly on whatever time I say I'm going to start start on. But friend of Knuckle Up, David Do or Die Derby, an MMA fighter from Outer Banks, North Carolina. I uh, just did a piece on Ozzy, OZY.com, on his son, Jeremiah Derby. Uh, and Jeremiah Derby is thus far gone, going to UNC on a, a uh, University of North Carolina on a full scholarship. He's a, he's a, a, a champion wrestler, champion boxer, and uh, uh, has had a couple, uh, has won all of his MMA fights. So this is probably like this first generation of MMA fighter who <laughs> intends to go to college, specifically to work. A distinct skill set like we were talking about on last week's show that ideally what you need to have is like mma 
well, MMA as a sport it has passed out of serious consideration, but the basis and the groundwork for for what we have or what became MMA had to do with people with very distinct skill sets who were champions of the my boxer can beat your champ my championship boxer can beat your championship wrestler. Instead it's become this melange of, you know, jack of all trades type training where nobody's specifically good in anything. You know, you have specialties. You have uh you have a guy who's got a boxing background, and these are typically people who flirt with, I'm going to go pro boxing, McNuggets, uh, Anderson Silva. You have championship wrestlers, who, uh, Daniel Cormier, uh, a friend of Knuckle Up, Daniel Cormier, and, and then you have you know, jiu-jitsu champions. So that's still kind of the modus operandi, but to find a guy who has trained in very specific deep skill sets with the expectation of fundamentally later putting those together with MMA versus, you know, hey, I do MMA, bro. You know, I do it. I do UFC, bro. Um, it, it is pretty cool. So on June 1st, he, they had a thing for charity, father, <laughs> a fight, father versus son. And of course, you know, the, the posters ginned it up like it was actually going to be an MMA match, which might have been a, a scad distasteful, but this was a, a wrestling match. And, uh, and so that's what I was watching before I started the show. And I have to say that uh, the Sun won. Uh, it was 0-0 going into the third round. And then the Sun won by like two points. Uh, I, and I, I didn't get to see how he had done it. I'm assuming it was probably a takedown near fall or something. They use amateur wrestling. But what I loved about it was that you could tell, like I said before, you can tell when people are training, like when training partners fight, even though this last fight with Marais and Jimmy Rivera, those guys used to train together. I think it, it didn't stop things really, except there was no excess brutality. It was like, I got to put them down move on and, and so on. But um, it's, it's really nice to see people who care about each other, like fight in an interesting way because they're being very gracious and kind with each other, even though they're in combat, right? Um, and, and, you know, and you can see the mathematics that the father has done. Now I know David do or die Derby has fought with another friend of mine, Harley Flanagan in an MMA match. <laughs> and they both came to me separately and talked about how dirty the other one was. <laughs> so I know that they, I know that, that David do or, die, do or die Derby could, could amp it up quite a bit, but that he do, chooses not to do so. I mean, it's more important for his son to keep on winning than it is for him, him to win which is markedly different from a lot of other father-son sets. I guarantee you, <laughs> I guarantee you, there would be no heartwarming feelings were I to be having any kind of physical confrontation with, 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 with any of my lifelong father figures. <laughs> like Chairman Mao said uh, when he was talking about his father, there is a man who was built for jet planing. And to be clear, jet planing is what Mal, where he discovered he liked torture, where they would tie a, a, a tie, it was no other way to call it, a victim's arms behind his back and uh, yank those arms up a pole um, so that the guy looked like a jet plane, I'm guessing is where the name came from. Um, which is interesting because a lot of, a lot of dictators and you see me segueing into our theme. A lot of dictators actually don't have a stomach for it, but Mao liked to. There was not. There were. There couldn't have been enough torture sessions for him to attend. He it actually gave him pleasure, as it did Reinhard Heydrich, uh, who was one of the few upper echelon Nazis who uh, didn't mind getting his hands dirty, so to speak. Uh, apparently, Himmler didn't like it, and and Hitler just wasn't interested. I don't know if like had anything to do with it. Um, but anyway, that's why, like I said, I feel like Michael Corleone here 
because as I've stated before, um, as I stated a long time ago, it got me disinvited from the root. Uh, I said, you know, America's obsession with racism is fantastical. It's non-existent. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. And this was in the days before people understood philosophical trolling. <laughs> so it was bad. They, they pretty much deleted the article after a few months and, and never invited me back. <laughs> but I, I did what was necessary for me, which is to indicate that I hate talking about race. And I keep saying it, and you keep hearing me saying it, and I keep being back here because like Michael Corleone, they get, I try to get out, and they keep pulling me back in. you know. And it's also, it's like if you go to a hardcore show and the band is thrashing in a way that seems, in the mosh pit, which in a way that seems distinctly separate from what the band is doing on stage. And the band on stage figures, man, we're getting the most glorious kind of hand job ever, when in actual fact what's happening is that people don't give a fuck what you're doing. The action has moved from the stage to the audience because there's nothing happening on the stage worth watching. That's what's happened. And so that's why we're talking about race again. And there have been certain instances in this past seven days that have kicked it off, leaving us to have to, leaving me to have to say, much like uh, uh, um, Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver, there's no reality to any of this. And then there's that sweeping hand gesture filmed from above that Scorsese likes so much. There's no reality to any of this. And yet we still, we're still here talking about now there are a couple of things that precipitated there's the afd party in germany that did remarkably well in in the in the recent elections i mean enough to the third most voted party enough to form a you know a, a voting block a coalition and this kind of parliamentary thing they've got going in germany but it, they it, and i could be completely wrong about that <laughs> so i'm just by preface it that's not my focus my focus point here is when you get the guy who's the leader of the party who said look um, he described the 12 years of the Nazi regime as bird poop, you know, and he, you kind of envision him doing this hand waving gesture. He said, you know, the Germans have a thousand year tradition, a thousand year pr proud tradition. This is what you get when you get populism. It is a thousand year tradition. What the fuck are you talking about? And it's no mistake that the guy ended up on the number 1000. The reality of it, the reality of it is that um, these were, you know, Austria and Habsburg, and these were loose coalitions, much like Italy didn't speak Italian countrywide for a long time, like a, a long time, like until like 1942 or something crazy like that. And there's still places that you can go in Italy where the dialect is foreign enough, given how, the size of the country, that people from one place have a hard time understanding people from another place. Like, you know, Sicilian is a language distinct from Italian, right? So, um, and their their languages as you move to other kind of islands uh, islands off of Italy where it's apparently according to my Italian friends impenetrable. So this idea that a thousand years of history, you know, um, cohering to the state of Germany, easy easy. But he's saying that twelve years of of uh, Nazism <laughs> um, were were bird poop on an otherwise proud history. Well, and people are, of course, pissed off because this is what we do now, that Facebook has created a certain outrage culture. And it's my personal challenge to get through the day without inorganic outrage. I'll tell you what organic outrage is. When you're on the freeway and somebody fucking cuts you off or they stop their car as they're trying to merge, that violation of the rhythm of the road 
is a fucking outrage. And that's why that you want to save save your outrage for people who are directly in peril your life. Existential outrage is justifiable outrage. So I'm okay with organic outrage. I'm not so okay with inorganic outrage. Inorganic outrage, well, um, it has an effect. It, 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 you don't know it, it, it has an effect. You can feel it. Like, this is why most people don't watch horror movies or action-adventure movies before they go to bed. It creates, it has an effect. Your body, a lot of times, is not distinct. I'll tell you, I went to an art showing in Vancouver, and it was a sound installation. And they put you in a room. They ask you to close your eyes. They don't blindfold you. They ask you to close your eyes. And you've got you know, what they used to call in the old days uh, surround sound, quadraphonic sound. You have speakers all over this room. And what you hear, the sound of a train. Now, you know you're in an art gallery. You've seen the 30 wooden chairs put on a cement floor in a cement room with white walls. Um, you understand the parameters of what's happening and over the loudspeaker you hear the sound of a train and the sound gets louder and louder and louder and louder and i'm sitting there and i said i know i'm being played i know i'm being played i'm gonna keep my eyes closed because it's physically impossible that a full-scale locomotive is moving through this cement box called an art gallery played and played and then pretty soon in a very interesting way the decibel level gets high enough that my brain overrides and goes fuck you something is going on and i open my eyes uh, and there are other people who still had their eyes closed uh, but the vast majority of people had their eyes open at that point haven't had that trick that, that trigger that trigger triggered um, so so in other words I, you know you shouldn't you, you like uh, the image the original image in the Godfather to make another Godfather reference was a hand with a marionette's uh, a cross and strings attached to it. You know that you shouldn't be so easily manipulated. You know you shouldn't be spending time dancing to the tune established by other drummers. You you know this in your heart of hearts, but you can't help it. Outrage is all around you. I tell you, I played a show in in. In Italy, I don't remember where, with Boonwell. And the band that's opening, oh, it was the first show. So uh, and I flew into Venice, so maybe Portanone. So, um, and I'm, I meet the band that's playing. It's a very nice woman who's leading the band. I think she's playing guitar and effects and singing, and she's got a drummer and a bass player. And I meet the whole band before, and they seem completely fucking normal and very pleasant people. And uh, and I'm in the dressing room and we have dinner together and we're talking and there's a good bit of conviviality. Well, it gets to be showtime. The audience is filing in. I'm backstage. You know, I'm getting dressed in my tuxedo and and uh, the band starts getting ready and the woman's tuning up her guitar and her drummer puts on a uh, not I don't, not a burnoose, but, you know, the uh, uh, a caftan, a black caftan. And um, he starts slicking his hair back. And next thing I know, dude starts to put on blackface, right? And I'm like watching this. And, and, and okay, now I'm on the line between inorganic and organic, right? And now I know this is, this, this, is a fucking, this is a fucking trigger. But this is a trigger 
within the confines of America, maybe kind of. So the guy takes the black and he puts it all over his face and he puts it on his hands and he puts it on his feet and his, and his calves because I guess you, they're visible if the, his caftan slides up. And now I'm looking for him. Now I'm watching him and I'm looking for him to start to put on red lipstick, which, ah, God damn it, I'm sorry. I can't remember if he's actually done this or not. But um, but I'm there and I'm on the edge, right? Like I'm on the edge. Like I hate being one of those people. Like I said, the symbolic impact of shit, I don't give a fuck about. And and, and realistically speaking, if you want to be racist, as long as it can't doesn't keep me from making QTAT, quick time across town, I don't... I could give a fuck, you know, <laughs> um, if, you, if you don't give me a job, it prevents me from making quick time across town. If you don't give me a place to live, if you threaten my children, all of these things keep me from making quick time across town. But otherwise, walk around with the poison, whatever poison you want in your head, God love you, go do it. If that means that you see me walking along the freeway with a gas can and, and you're not going to p- p- pick me up and take me to the gas station, that's fine. That's okay. That's fully within your fucking rights. So I'm watching this guy, and um, um, uh, and then finally I decide, you know what? This is there's a phrase, a teachable moment, because I'm I've gone chilly on the guy. Like I used to like Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello calls Ray Charles a nigger. I'm not so big of a Ray Charles fan that that really bothers me. But you know what? I was at the shows in 1980 and 81. And I have a sense that there was this flirtation with racism just to show that you were punk rock that I didn't fucking like and it resulted in me having to punch a few people in the mouth. So I know on the ground, this song's, you know, that attitude makes it tough for me. Ian Mackay got into a long argument with him about guilty of being white, a song he's now repudiated and feels bad about having written, got into an argument with him at the time. It's like, man, you are the fruit and the tree. It's not good fruit, man. It's not good fruit. So I think, okay, teachable moment here. And I, I, I'm not going to be pushed around by inorganic outrage. I'm not going to be my, motivated by symbolism that I couldn't give a fuck about. But I can see post-show, they want some sort of validation from me, right? And musically, they were fine. And finally, they kind of corral me. And like, you know, Italians not shy. They want, oh, I'm, did you, I'm hoping you got to see. And I said, you know what? I couldn't watch you. Um, because watching you with the black face, I found it very distracting and I found I, I could concentrate only on that and not on anything connected to the music because it's an American sickness, you see. <laughs> and I said, I had to come back to the dressing room so I could hear you. Um, but as I stood there before and tried to watch, I'm thinking, why would you do that? And I said, for your edification, were you to do this in America? what meager audience would actually show up to your shows would be going through the same process. And there's a strong likelihood that you might be killed (laughs) either by people who support your efforts or people who don't support your efforts. And they were like, kill what I go. This is very charged in an environment that's charged. Like you might want to shed some light on something by lighting a match, but you were in a gunpowder factory, you know? And it's an American sickness. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. You got to. So she translates to him and then he says something back and she goes, he's a creature of intuition. And when he woke up this morning, he said he wanted to be all black, which is to say not as a black person, but black. Right. Which is 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 like 
there's a difference, right? Um, if I'm heavily Kazu Ono, if I'm heavily influ influenced by Buto, and I come out with pancake makeup, white pancake makeup on, I'm got I come out in white face, but I'm not attempting to be white. And this is why I was trying to focus on the lips or not. If you came out and you want to be black, a demon, a spirit, a shadow, uh, a genie, uh, you, you know, some kind of upper level sathonic force, luciferian you wouldn't do the lips but now now i'm becoming an art an art a race art critic which is not where i want to be so i said you know god love you you seem like nice guys but you just rehearsed to play a show and played a show of which my lasting and long impression will be you with a black face <laughs> it's a sickness it's a sickness so here we are with the German, with the leader of the AFD saying, ah, oh, look, 12 years of Nazism was not going to camp besmirch. And that goes along line with the article that I read a few years ago, where some fairly astute German intellectual was saying, you can't deny people a moral imperative. You can't continue to do this. And, and I concurred. And I said, listen, the, the aggrieved parties, they owe it to themselves and their ancestors. They should be able to complain about this as long as they want to complain about it which for many people should be forever, especially given that 70% of the American public uh, um, doesn't know about, hasn't learned about the whole, or hasn't retained any idea about the Holocaust in school. That number seems high to me. I have a hard time believing that it's that high. But when I see Jimmy Kimmel walk through the streets and ask people to name a book and they can't, then I, got, I start to say, okay, well, may, maybe it's not that fucking high. Um, but what you what you have is you have... The attitude that he was warning about, which is like, are you going to chain a thousand years? And keep in mind, you see, it's a brain worm, a thousand years. The Reich was supposed to be a thousand years. It was no mistake that the guy said a thousand years. You know, is it 99? He would have been better off had he said 999, 950, 900, 1100. But he said a lot of thousand. A thousand years of German history, you know, uh, subsumed to, the, to the, 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 bird, the bird shit of the 12 years under Nazism. So he thought he had cover because he described Nazism, made a parallelism between Nazism and bird shit. But the reality of it is, you know, uh, dismissing something that killed 50 million people, that realigned, you know, you know realigned Western Europe in, in very significant ways, got people extremely angry, and they're still angry. And a Angela Merkel said, "This is what you get. This is what you get." Now. Are people playing this for political gain? Sure. Can people play it for political gain? Sure. Should they? I don't know if they should. You know, uh, I, I believe the German people should, uh, like the aggrieved parties, should should be able to remember and complain about it forever. I think the the part, you know, the perpetrating parties at a certain point should be but should be able to move on. The reality of it is, somebody like. Uh, well, take any murderer. I know several who are out of out of prison, um, have a hard time probably getting jobs because they had been in prison for murder, even though the state has adjudged them to have served their time and paid their debt to society. You know, like that phrase in my family: "All the goodbyes ain't gone." At what point are the goodbyes gone? At what point can you say that this this stuff should be forgiven? And that's what's sort of compelling about the the Me Too thing. That you know, um, like with that, there's a recent uh, Patrick, 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 uh, 
Patrick, uh, some football coach who did some shit when he was in his 20s. And there's a like, look, can't we move ahead and forget? It's like, well, you can if you address this shit. Well, in the, in the instance of the, the nation state of Germany, it seems like they've addressed it. They've paid reparations and um, and they've more than acknowledged the aggrieved party to complain forever um, uh, about whatever. But they haven't embraced in a healthy way. The second portion of that is while I agree to have you be able to complain forever, you're, you're, I hope you don't mind terribly if we don't make this part of our national fabric also forever. We'd like to move ahead as a people. Um, but describing that 12 years as, as bird shit, you know, birds are small. Bird shit is even smaller. Most people who get shit on by birds like to talk about it. Oh, it's lucky. I've heard people say that before. You don't feel the same way when you get shit on by an elephant. Nobody calls that lucky. Uh, um, so the enormity of the shit is what we're talking about. And um, But you have now people ex- ex- exercised on both sides of the fucking angle. And that turns around to this fighter. Where let me, uh, of course, my Twitter feed is full of it. Um, you know, uh, this fighter who uh, her husband or boyfriend is there. Let me find it. It's uh, and he, she's, he's rooting her on, and and, and people look on his arm and they notice that he's got a swastika tattoo and um, he uh, some SS bolts. And um, and then and then uh, she says, "Here, I, I found it." Uh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Andrea Lee, um, and they have l- released a couple. He's got swastika tattoos. He's got lightning bolts to drive it home. Um, and then he has got a Confederate flag there somewhere, right? So, um, and here, let's, here we can read what she says. I have it now. Um, I have to get through the chapped lips thing first. Sorry. Unbelievable. Chapped lips. New York State Athletic Commission. Somebody's checked it in clear. So, um, okay, here, no, I got it. Um, I mean, I got I got a million of these things. Everybody's kind of pissed off. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, um, Tommy Toehold sending me stuff. Uh, I love that guy. Um, okay, here we go. Oh God, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, um, okay, so here they zero in on the tattoo, and uh, Kareem Zidane said a UFC fighter's husband has fascist symbol tattooed on his arm. This is unacceptable, and um, and Andrea KGB Lee's husband has a swastika tattoo on his arm. Their photographs. Um, people are saying, has anyone asked him if it is in fact a Nazi symbol? It has other meanings in other cultures. He has an SS bolt on the other arm, or does that also represent a different culture too? Says Kareem Zidane. Uh, <laughs> Somebody then says, give me one reason why this is unacceptable for, for the UFC in any way. <laughs> Congratulations, says Zidane. It takes a true imbecile to both defend the swastika tattoo and ignore its significance. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then somebody says that previous comment wasn't a defense of the symbol or worthy of the insult you threw back. 
However, you say the situation is unacceptable. So how exactly you would propose it gets resolved? It certainly isn't a UFC matter. I don't know what's expected here. So you have people do, doing a little pushback, and that does not help by Andrea Lee, who says, neither one of us are racist. We have an Asian and a black guy that live with us. Oh, my gosh, guys. It's a tattoo he got when he was in prison. Get over yourselves. He covers them up all the time. This is, these are people who are badly in need of some serious PR advice. You know, you're explaining the first time they try to explain it. They talk about his prison time. And the second time, I use people try to say, he's also got a Confederate flag on there. I mean, come on, guy. <laughs> he's got a plethora of racial racial symbols. You know, so so this has become the the, the chit chatter of, of the day. And um and you'll notice that I've been uncharacteristically quiet about it, <laughs> given given that I am also tattooed. With symbols that have upset people, if you go to electrical audio, you pretty much have somebody on there who's like, UG, nigga, 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 UG, UG, nigga, nigga, UG, which is uncommon for a, a forum started by Steve Albini. But clearly, you know, the guy's trying to make a point. He goes like, hey, you got a tattoo like that. So what do you? And I said, well, you know, I have a I have a, a huge demon. The body was divided to good and evil. And I'm trying to make a statement about evil. Um, and do you deny that uh, the Nazi regime was evil? And he's like, well, no, that's not the point. You know, I lost a great grandparent. Did you know your great grandparent? No. You know, Cross-generational trauma, they now have some proof that it might be genetic, but you're carrying it. And, you know, I keep hearing from other Americans that I should get over shit. You know, we should all get over stuff, right? I mean, nobody's talking about returning anything but casinos to Native Americans. And, you know, I hear that, you know, uh, racism was a 400 year ago artifact. And in fact, they have come up with psycholo psychologists have come up with a, a, an indication that's endlessly pouring over, endlessly pouring over things that make you miserable m may not be a way to exhaust trauma. It may be a way to prolong trauma. I don't know. But again, I fully defend people's right to be aggrieved which is what I said on the electrical forum, as well as uh, anybody else's right to in, in, uh, ignore the symbolic impact uh, 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 of, of symbolism. You know what symbolism is? It's shit that people say right before they're about to do something terrible. <laughs> you know, but I, I really can't be concerned about what they might say before they do something terrible versus being prepared for them doing something terrible. Right. The reality of it is most people who were taken low by the second large scale industrial war of the 20th century, you know, never expected it to go beyond talk. If there's one lasting lesson that we have from from that period of time, World War One and World War Two, is that once that talk has started, it always goes beyond that talk. You know, um, so but my the best commentary in in, uh, in relationship to a Andrea Lee was that. She says that uh, she has an Asian and a black guy that live with us. And somebody says that black guy is Mike Perry, which is very funny because Mike Perry recently, also in the same seven-day period, said after doing a 23andMe thing or whatever, one of these genetic things, found out that he's 0.02% black, so therefore he can call people niggers. Okay, and then people start kind of got outraged because... We want to get outraged about things, and uh, t 
Tyron Woodley rushes to his defense and gives him a fucking hood pass like all Negroes live in the fucking hood to begin with, you know. Sorry, man. I never lived in the fucking hood. Oh, well, I sorry. Let me correct that. I am actually in the hood now, but but I didn't grow up in the hood, right? I grew up in Ozone Park. I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. I grew up in Crown Heights. I grew up in, in, in Flatbush, but I never grew up in the fucking hood. Don't know what that means. Did I live in a project? I did not. Our project's part and parcel of hoods. Really? Because the hood I'm sitting in right now does not have a project in it. So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? We're talking about this American, continued American obsession with race. Now, if you have a particularly uninventive uh, 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 pop songwriter sitting around, uh, Dana Carvey did a great imitation of it. You can probably find it on, on, uh, on YouTube under Chopping Broccoli. Guy's sitting around. He's trying to write some Elton John-esque bit of pop significance. He's, he's sitting there and he's like playing a C, a bouncy C. And he, he's like, okay, I got to write a lyric that goes with this. He's like, she, she, what is she? Where, 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 where is she? Where is she tonight? And all of a sudden you figure you got a winner because you know, if you're a heterosexual man, you might have some heartbreak that you looked at and you, yeah, where is she tonight, you know, or, you know, unrequited love, where is she? And if you're she, the idea that somebody out there is looking for you and said, pretty soon you could build a whole song around she. And if you're a band, the Beatles, you actually have a song named she. And there was a book called She. I think it was uh, Saint, was it Ferlinghetti or Gregory Corso? I don't remember at this point. It's just she, she, the mother of us all. It becomes such an easy thing to say, a, a shorthand for something. And that's where we are with race. It's like you sit for five minutes with somebody and start talking. You got nothing else to talk about, but this will do. This absolutely will do. Well, it won't do. You know, it won't do. The reason we're talking about Andrea Lee is a fighter that I didn't know anything about before the husband with the swastika tattoo and the lightning bolts and the Confederate flag. Before we got to any, I mean, you know, listen, you know, I think what she was trying to say is, look, when you when you get to prison, you got to make some hard decisions about where you're going to align yourself. And that's part of the lay of the land. Like that story I told on the old knuckle up about uh, being on tour with a friend of mine who, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't need his name mentioned right now, I guess. And he said, listen, man, you're going to meet my cousin. I was like, oh, good. Come. Any family of yours, family, because I want to prepare you for me to go. Oh, what's the matter? What's wrong with the guy? He goes, well, he's got some white supremacy tattoos. And, you know, that was part of his former life. I'll explain later. And he explains later. And the guy's a perfectly decent guy. But uh, his it's a long story. I'm not going to repeat it here. Uh, um, but, you know, he was trying to establish contact with a father who was a white supremacy, a long lost father. And this, he will bond with his father through this. And then, of course, it ended up uh, it, it ended up ending the way only the way only the way these things can, because anybody trying to sell you on supremacy white or otherwise is driving a fucking argument that, uh, uh, you know, that. <laughs> it's like when somebody tells you they're a Christian, they're sort of pre-notifying you of their intent to fuck you over, 
And that's what happened in this case. So the guy has the white supremacy tattoos to remind him that that shit is shit. So you don't never know why people have them. You don't know why. And he said, well, cover him. You know, it's not what he wants to do. He wants to remember, you know, is he, I mean, is it, is it a counter, you know, um, who knows? It's not my business to say. It's not my business. I met the guy. The guy was perfectly nice to me. We had a different, a decent conversation. So what you're saying, Eugene, is that people should go around and say whatever they want to say, that words shouldn't have consequences. Words absolutely should have consequences. And if I were Andrea Lee, I would say, it's a long story. You want want me to explain? Come by sometime. I'll, t- I'll be glad to talk to you about it. And um, But if, if your question starts in asking whether or not I'm a racist, you should know that's the problem answer that's probably no you know i mean how would you qualify a racist is it somebody who does racist shit right it's it's a definition of acts not of words or deeds but words or deeds that we found in this instance are intimately connected you know <laughs> so uh um again understand the right of the aggrieved to permanently be aggrieved by stuff that's aggrievable um, also understand other people's, uh, uh, um, not necessarily, uh, interest in, 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 in playing along. Got that on both sides of it. <laughs> Got it. However, uh, um, how, how, however, the fact that we're talking about it at all is an indication of the paucity of the offering. Now, some people have made the contention that, um, that, that what's happening right now in the UFSI is that they're tanking. They're tanking purposefully uh, as a way to to fuck over the the exiting landlords and and to put all their planning and uh, uh, front load the the shit that happens after they make the move to ESPN. And I I go that's pretty convenient except for the fact that you realize that a lot of these fights were booked before the deal was finished, right? So uh, even though I know this does happen based on having been an editor in chief and and having had the, the departing editor-in-chief look me in the face and say, everything for the next issue is in that folder on the desktop, and then you get to the folder on the desktop, and it is fucking empty. Empty, empty, empty. I don't know whether stuff for the issue had been absconded with, deleted, or never existed, but that was the case. And that's how I got to Code Magazine and did my first Halle Berry issue. I had nothing in the fucking can, and that's how I'd been left, you know? Um, so maybe, maybe, maybe it's a question of that. Maybe that's what's happening, you know? Um, but, um, but, uh, but the shows have been so terrible that in the last care, don't care previews, three shows, which means minimum of 15 fights on the card. That's 45 shows. Do you know how many cares I had? I had two over three fights over three of fight events about 45 fights. I only cared about two of them. And people were like going, kind of getting on me about this last one because I had zero for the first time ever in two th- since 2007, since I wrote the fight book, Fighter, Everything You Ever Want to Know About Asking About Fridge, you get your ask- kicked for asking. For the first time, my interest in, in an MMA event was zero, zero, goose egg, zero, not a single fight. Oh, Jimmy Rivera and, and Moraes, okay? and. Uh, and Jimmy Rivera undefe- has 25 win fight win streak undefeated. This might you should care is knocked out with a head kick in 33 seconds first round by Moraes. 
I'm not saying that wasn't exciting. I, it was very fucking exciting. I'm not saying it was exciting enough for me to bust my ass and get there on Friday night to watch it, especially when it was up against bare knuckle boxing. Listen, the bare knuckle boxing guy, uh, Rio Sports has been doing bare knuckle bare knuckle boxing for a while, and uh, it's great. It sounds hard. It's easy because you don't hit as hard with your naked hand if you're just hitting with your naked hand. But this guy is blown into Wyoming, sold a story to fundamentally to Ozzy about, you know, only bare knuckling. It turns out he's being sued by the guy who's really been running bare knuckling boxing in Wyoming for the past five years. The guy's making outrageous claims. It's like, man, you're a sleazy scumbag operator. You're in perfect company. Step into Wyoming, stomp all over this guy's intellectual property and call it your own. But, you know, sorry, I'm an addict and got to watch. Um, but uh, so Friday night, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice my Friday night to see Jimmy Rivera. It's like, oh, you didn't know the way it was going to go. I wasn't interested anyway. And then something else came up. Something else came up. Okay. <sighs> I don't want to talk. Look, this is an unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated rumor, unsubstantiated, 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 but having to do with Marais and and drug testing. Does he look like he's drug free? Not especially to me. He doesn't really. I'm not going to raise a specter, you know, being drug free or using drugs. Not going to guarantee that you can pull off a kick like that and put the guy out. But, you know, um, you know, he's now. People are making the head the signal around their waist about the belt and Marie. I, I you know, and there were other fights on the card that were kind of people. Oh, you should with the, um, who was the, the Gillespie? How come you can as a grappler? I cared about Gillespie. He was, he's a top fight talent in Pinchell. Who Pinchell? Who? Yeah, exactly. Come on. Come on. Now, it could be that I'm caught in a discontinuity, like one day when I picked up a music magazine and I've gone from knowing 70 percent of the bands and music magazines to, to, and not knowing 30 percent to knowing 30 percent and not knowing 70 percent. Who the fuck is caving? Who the fuck is caving? How did I miss this? This whole Boston scene of guys who are about uh, 20 years younger than me. Led by like Converge, I, I heard about shit about Converge before we played with him in Bordeaux, France. So Converge, nah, nah, Jane, the record, Jane, ah, not ringing any bells. This is music scene that I was immersed in, and it passed me by. It could be that situation that's happening now, but I do know any <laughs> any time people start talking about race, I want to reach for my gun <laughs> because it, it, it it's it's precipitated by a certain kind of American boredom, a certain kind of sheeness. Got nothing else to talk about, so let's talk about this. I mean, I remember a friend of mine getting getting outraged, like outraged, and he was. This is Pete. His father was a singer for the Coasters. Charlie Brown. He didn't sing the Deep Voice. He walks in the classroom, smooth and slow. He calls English, teacher daddy, oh, Charlie Brown, you know, this guy. And he was outraged. We're at CBGB's. And he's, what's, what's the matter, man? He goes, these fucking, fucking racist fucks. And I go, what? What? You heard somebody say something that made you upset? You mean the sons and daughters of blue collar workers from Bensonhurst, Queens said something racially insensitive? You know? I mean, we could all say things. I'm not saying that you got to be a smiling, smirking fucking toady, you know, 
Tom, you know, you hear somebody say something, he said, man, like I said to the guy dressed in blackface, that's the kind of shit that could get you hurt. Now, if a guy wants to get personal and say, who's going to do the hurting? I could also say, maybe it's me. Maybe I jump up and slap the fuck out of you. Maybe that's what I do. And then the guy, if he's smart, he goes, well, that's probably not going to happen. And then I would jump in. I go, I could make it happen. You know, <laughs> as long as we're talking, I could say anything, right? I could talk about fucking your mother over the park bench. I could talk about your father licking my anus. I could talk about any of these things, right? We could all talk about them, right? We just, just talk. I could talk about how your God, I hate your God. Your God's a fucking pimp. What, what, whatever I could say to fucking incense you, I could say because you're easy. You're easy and you're bored and you got nothing going on. Like I told you, there's a guy in New England, hey, nigga, and I was like, oh, God. So why do you have to demean the enterprise? I mean, if, if you want to fight with me, all you have to do is say, let's fight and we'll be fighting. But to you embarrass yourself. And I'm embarrassed for you. And now we have two people here who heretofore minutes ago weren't embarrassed. You know you're better than that. And the guy looks at me and he goes, all right, come on, bitch. <laughs> and I, I was going to give him a speech about, you know, again, what is it with feminizing me? That somehow I'm supposed to be upset that you feminized me because the female is bad. I don't, you know, I don't. It's a little too much philosophy for a sidewalk in Maine. So I just climbed up on the curb and boom, 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 beat the guy up. And keep in mind, look, I'm not, this is not a Danzig S ultimate bad guy. I got plenty of fights I lose, okay? It's not like, oh, you're fighting and you always win. I'm not Superman. I got plenty of fights I lose. That's not the point. And Pete was like, yeah. I said, do you expect, do you expect anybody to be any way that you expect? I don't. I don't. I'm talking to a friend of mine, a long a bandmate, longtime roommate. And he's talking about something. He's like, ah, you know, the headphones are fucked up. But I'll get you between takes, I'll get you some tape and so you can nigger rig it. I go, what? He goes, nothing. I go, no, no, what did you say? He said, nigger rig it. You said nigger rig it, man. I go, no, I meant, I meant. I don't know. I heard what you said, man. You got to understand that the socially acceptable term is Jerry rig it. Jerry rig it. J E R I rig it. So I'm sorry, but I got to stop with the fucking apologies. Just stop. You're not, <laughs> you're not in a position to impress me with, impress me with your casual racism. I don't fucking care because you got to understand when I wake up and begin my day as a Negro, <laughs> I'm not thinking about that shit. You know, I'm not thinking about it. I'm not thinking about it. Like Dave Chappelle has a scene where he goes, you know, I don't like getting high with black folks because all black folks do is talk about their miseries when they get high. I could talk about my miseries not high. Maybe that's why I'm getting high. So whereas white cats, they just talk about other times they got high. What we're talking about is to embrace the fullness of America, which is to embrace your right to be as stupid as you want. I wake up my day a, a Negro. I walk through my day a Negro. I go to sleep as a Negro. I dream as a Negro. That's fine. 
It's like when I was walking down the street in Poland, a country that's 98% racially homogenous. <laughs> some teenage hip hop guys, Polish hip hop guys, their car screeches to a stop and they're like, black guy. <laughs> it's like it suddenly dawns on you. <laughs> and it was it wasn't pejorative. They were pretty happy to see me, you know. I mean, I don't know if they would have been as happy if they had figured out that I, I was African. You know, Amer African Americans like to imagine that we're part of a grand international brotherhood and that we can traverse the world and people will think we're Africans. And they know we're not Africans. You know how you know? You don't move like an African. I move like an American. And you know who told me that? A Swiss expat in, in Germany. And I didn't believe him until I started identifying people far off by their nationalities, just by, based on how they move. I told my kids at one point, go stand, wait for me over there by those French people. Those people were 100 yards away. There's no way I could have known they were French. My kid gets over there, goes, dad, they're French. How did you know? They, they move like French people. If you're Pakistan, you move like a Pakistan. It's different. We got national Americans move alike. And that's the point that I'm, we move alike. We stink alike. We, we think alike, sadly, and, and our obsessions um, will not let us be free. And they came out, there was a great report where the woman said, oh, you think all are racist in the South? They're not, and it, which is anything anybody knows who's lived any place, right? And I was laughing about it, and I was trying to explain to a friend of mine, I said, listen, uh, I fundamentally feel more comfortable. I end up feeling more comfortable with anybody from Europe. But in America, I end up feeling more comfortable with blue-collar, working-class white cats. And these are the first cats who might say, I'm voting for Trump. These are the first cats who might be saying, you know, you immigrants could go back to your country. These are the first guys I start talking to if I would, of the kind of person to start talking to about racism, who'd be like, oh, you know, you're racist. Blah, 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 blah. But if they like you, they like you. They like you because they like you, not because they believe they should. I'm not a Trump apologist, but I'm saying, Trump's friendship, and I'm going to put air quotes around that, with Kanye is probably a lot more genuine insofar as he's, he's capable of any kind of quality of genuine than, say, Hillary's friendship with um, pick a Negro, I don't know, Obama. Now, I don't think Hillary likes Obama, but does she dislike him because he's he he he's got uh he's biracial, black skin? If Trump actually likes Kanye, does he like him because he's got black skin? He likes him disregarding his black skin, which is not what I want. I don't want you to forget. I'm not pushing a colorblind society. I'm perfectly happy with you to share my understanding of me everywhere I go. But the reality of it is, when I asked the same Swiss expat who lived in Berlin to explain anti-Semitism to me, 
I go, how is it that you have <clears throat> anti-Semitism in places where Jews don't even exist? And he said, I'm going to have to lay the blame squarely on the, the steps of the, of the church. Because you can't understand the story of Jesus without understanding that somehow the Jews had something to do with it. Despite the fact that Jesus was a Jew. Okay, all right, all right, got it. So I look, I, I look for this obsession with, with, with race, and I have to say, I have to say, when I realize <laughs> that I am a lot of people's only black friend, <laughs> the only images they have in their head outside of the ones I provided them with, and I'm no sterling example of anything, are the ones they've gleaned from what? The church? Not in America. What's the church in America? Hollywood. I mean, I can't even get out of the Transformers movie without robotic trucks from outer space sounding like they're from the hood. What hood is that? What hood are we talking about? And don't try to hang me up with, okay, Eugene, because there are no actual multi multi apartment multi family apartment buildings in you know south central or you try to tell me that's not the hood it hadn't been you had working class negroes they came attracted by the defense industry and maritime shit you know oakland became oakland because it was a port town people are not leaving the south just to come and stand on street corners in oakland These were neighborhoods. They weren't hoods. You know, I mean, the reality, the reality of it is redlining in America was so effective that it became very, they quickly became hoods. The jihettos, places where people who were white suddenly felt uncomfortable to be. They created a situation of uncomfortability and they weren't comfortable with the uncomfortability. But we're obsessed with it in a, in a way that doesn't help. So I got robotic fucking trucks from outer space who are hip hop. I got Whitmore Sellers saying, look, hip hop is, is, is not helping, which is a derivation of Bill Cosby art, uh, uh, argument. But I think there's a cer certain scintilla of truth about it, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> Tim Yohannan from Maximum Rock and Roll said, the reality of it is most bands don't stay vital or interesting beyond a couple of years. And he was right. I thought about that as a guy who's in a band for 30 years now. I thought about that every day. And the reason is they're thinking they're taking themselves to music, right? I'm in a ska band. I'm in a skate band. I'm in a bad, 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 bad. genre music. I'm doing the genre. I'm trying to find I'm trying to expand and expound on a certain type of musical genre versus saying I'm an artist and I'm going to use music in my palette to have an art experience. We do the same with race. I'm not talking about colorblindness, not talking about that at all. But the preponderance, the predominance of imagery gleaned from 
you know, where you can't even, I mean, you notice it when you do like a movie like uh, that, that I, we, we reviewed on You Kill Me last week, uh, uh, Good Time, Sat, the Safdie brothers, where just suddenly you see a New York that really looks like New York, which means a, a, a TV show like Friends or Seinfeld, they actually, actually, these are TV shows, comedy is a little bit different, but they're movies that follow the same tune where they act, actively exclude. And when they include, it's to make some sort of shorthand point about something that imbues the, the, the Anglo hero with some sort of significance, like that he's brave enough to walk through a hood. Now, last I checked, these were people from Earth, just trying to make it through a day with dreams and aspirations like anybody else. But the, the Halloween uh, of racism in America, you know, the placement of mass, the removal of mass, this obsession with rites and rituals and, and, and scares and the focus on the dead and the history and ancestors. And it, it just it's no way to move forward. Because I guarantee you, the billionaires don't give a shit about this. The billionaires manufacturing the culling <laughs> that will 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 get rid of the persistent problems of of the underclasses by getting rid of the underclasses. Not thinking of these terms. You ever meet a black billionaire? I have. You ever meet a, a black multimillionaire? I have. This is cheap seat stuff and not even really cheap seat. If you say like, well, okay, the blue collar guys, you know, they're just caught. Caught. And we got caught up with it and MMA got caught up with it and we were stuck with it. In this past week, talking about Mike Perry and the hood pass and Tyron getting involved knee deep in this muck like he really need to do that with the fucking belt. All right. All right. All right. And the Andrea Lee, who's suddenly now more significant than ever because of this thing with her husband. And what Zap Bruder is there, like zeroing in on his arm? I mean, it's just there's an old punk rock song, and the refrain was, it's all a load of fucking shit. Oh, Eugene, is this the bird poop argument? All of it. All of it. Not just the 12 years of the Third Reich. <laughs> All of it, poop-filled. Our approach to reality is misbegotten. Because while this is happening over here, this is happening over here. One is dangerous, not that, and one is not. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you, except to, to not go beyond the obvious, you do yourself and those around you a disservice. This next week, we got a fight I think that's worth watching. Isn't Robert Whitaker fighting? Hey, okay. And Colby Crappington, another guy who's who, who you need to realize this fight is suddenly worth watching because if he loses, we finally get to see him stop talking. It's a lot of pressure for Rafael Dos Anjos, and I know a lot of times that Brazilian fighters, they lose their head for it, but I'm hoping to God he hasn't. Because I need to I need to have Crappington stop talking immediately. Almost immediately. A less entertaining McNuggets, or worse people have described them as. But they're talking. And that's why we get back to race. 
because they can sell movies on it and they can sell chatter and magazines. And if you go to Ozzy.com, you can see I got another piece about my neighbors calling the cops on me. It's up today. Go to OZY.com and type in, you know, when my neighbors call the cops on me. You can read it. And I just raised a couple of issues that we're suddenly sitting at the nexus of race, gender, nationality, age, sexual preference. One of the editors who edited the piece writes me yesterday and she goes, are you saying that the, that these people are racist? I said, I'm not saying anything about that. I'm saying this is sitting in a weird space. I don't know why she called the cops on me. You got to read the story. I'm not going to go into it here. I talked about it a little bit on one of the past show stompers. I'm just raising some points. But it, it, but it's a sickness making America sick. And that I'm, I'm, I'm willing to allow. Whether it has real weight and presence outside of that, I don't know. But, you know, after a certain point, whether you're acting like you're crazy or really crazy, they're both the same thing. And America is quickly past that point. I'm hoping one day to do an upbeat show stomper. But that day is not today. So thanks for listening. Later on this afternoon, if you subscribe to this channel, if you subscribe to this channel, you'll get an announcement about later on this afternoon, we do You Kill Me film review show for Reprobates, Kasha and Eugene's film re review show for Reprobates. Uh, on Tuesday at 7.20, we have If I Did It, which is we solve PR kerfuffles in the world of MMA. And immediately following that, usually at 7.50, 7.55, we do If the Shoes Fit, where we talk about PR kerfuffles outside of MMA. And then usually the next day or the next couple of days after that, we do the Care or Don't Care preview. Um, there's a, a Lydia Lunch show I want to see Saturday, but I'm going to go watch the fight near where the show is so we could do Kill Two Birds with One Stone. So that's what's happening this, this next week, providing nothing really terrible happens. Knock on wood. Eh, 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 eh. Anyway, thanks for listening. Go below. Give us a thumbs up. Sorry, that's the thumb. Give us a thumbs up. If you go to patreon.com slash uh, the stomper, T-H-E-S-T-O-M-P-E-R, you can actually um, click and donate money because you like the show. Uh, people have been texting me all during the show like, man, you should have a million subscribers. Uh, as, good, as good as anything I watch on MSNBC, you're too close to the content. Ask other people who watch these videos what they think. Think we should have a million subscribers? I agree. So subscribe. Anyway, uh, the show is done. We'll see you soon. And as usual, I end it with, look what you made me do! Ah!